Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for scripture. As we look at several portions this morning, we want to be those who hear and apply, renewing our minds and living in dependency upon Christ as we live out your word. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Imagine that you go to Red's Pizza and you order a pizza. And in just a few moments, they bring out some dough, they bring out some sauce, they bring out some cheese and whatever topping that you ordered in a microwave oven. And you say, but I ordered pizza. And they say, here it is. You hire a contractor to build a house for you. He excavates, he pours a footer, and he brings all the materials that you need, and he says, goodbye, I'm done. You say, but you're supposed to build the house. And he says, I supplied everything that you need. At times, we provide clear biblical doctrinal teaching in local churches. We deliver the goods but we don't get around to applying it or living the doctrine. It's kind of like having all that you need to make a pizza, but you don't know what to do with it. It's kind of like having all the materials for the house, but you don't know how to build the house. So we can have the doctrine. We can have the teaching. But how do we put it together? How do you live it out. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scriptures God breathed and is useful or profitable for doctrine or teaching, for rebuking, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Last week, we considered some doctrine. And the doctrine ties in with, uh, <clears throat> as it relates to teaching and training, we discuss the church, the elders being involved in teaching and training believers. We talked about in marriage, a husband responsible for teaching, training, loving his wife. We discussed in the home, mom and dad responsible for teaching and training children. This morning, we want to take that doctrine, if you please, that teaching that we covered last week. And we also discussed some rebuking last week, but look more on the angle of correcting and training. What does this look like in life? And in light of the passages we discussed last week, I raised some questions. What is a single parent to do if... Dad is to be involved in training. How is mom to respond if dad is not around due to a death or divorce, a husband left, whatever the case may be? What does it look like for her to be involved with her children? How about <clears throat> believers, believing wives with professing, believing husband who is not leading or training? Might have a professing, believing wife who has a husband who doesn't really lead, how should she respond? What should children do 
when professing believing parents do not teach or train? How should they respond? What's it look like in life? What should believers do if their leaders are not teaching and training them how to live day by day? A believing wife with, with an unsaved husband, what's she to do? He probably will not lead spiritually and so on. How is she to live? How is she to respond? A believing husband with a believing wife who will not follow. No, he may teach and he may seek to train and she just doesn't really want to follow. Shepherds with sheep that are not responsive. No, leaders in the church seeking to teach how should they respond when sheep don't want to follow. Husbands, father, not knowing how to teach, how to train. As we strive to fit doctrine into life, we want to cover some of those items in life. But this morning, we want to look at a general aspect first. Because if the general is not in order, the specific will not be able to be applied. And please understand that some of what I share this morning and some that I will share next week, I have not experienced. And sometimes we think that unless someone has been through something, they can't help me walk through something that I am going through. But I think that's an enemy, or a lie of the enemy, that if someone has not been through it, they don't understand, they can't help me. But Jesus Christ was never through single parenting, a wife who is not responsive, a husband who is passive, and so on. But he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. So my encouragement is to stop and reflect on the fact that even though someone may not have been through what you have been through, they can give guidance and understanding, and ultimately we're looking to Christ. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. As we think about being a single parent, as we think about a believing wife whose husband may not be responsive even though he's a believer, as we think about a believing husband who is seeking to teach and lead a way wife may not follow, how should we respond? My first word of encouragement is pursue God and delight in Him. Pursue God. Delight in Him. Psalm 42 and verse 1. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? So here you are, you're a parent and your kids aren't responsive. You're to be teaching and training and they're not responding. Where do you go? Meet with God. He goes on in verse 3, My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throngs. Tied in with some of the Feast of Israel, Feast of the Passover, the first fruits in the tabernacle, or Feast of the Tabernacles. In verse 5, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I yet will praise him, my Savior and my God. 
My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, and Mount Zemizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as a foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I yet praise him, my Savior and my God. As this psalm is reflected upon, the writer obviously was downcast, going through difficulty, but he says, I pant for God. You may have a husband who is not leading, even though he professes to be a believer. And you may cry out to God, first of all, delight in God. First of all, pursue God. Your soul may be downcast over and over again. Pursue God. Delight in God. Put your hope in him. Listen as I read from Matthew chapter 5. And verse 6. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, where Jesus is sharing what we commonly call the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God, I thirst for you. I want, a, I want righteousness. And he says, I will fill. Glory in the living Christ. This ties in with delighting in God, pursuing him. Glory in the living Christ, who is your life, who is your shepherd. Glory in the written Christ. Scripture. Glory in the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and points to Christ. And pray, share your heart, your hurts, your struggles with God. So you're a parent, you have attempted to teach and train your children, and they may not be responsive at a point in time. What do you do? You delight in God. You cry out to Him. You glory in Christ. You glory in the written Christ. You glory in the Spirit. You say, I don't feel like doing that many times when I'm struggling. God is gracious, and we can still pursue Him. And another thought and suggestion is to make it your goal to know Christ. Let's turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Paul, in the context of writing apparently to a church that may be somewhat divided, not responsive because he encourages some unity in chapter 4, a book also that is full of joy. And in chapter 2, he talked about imitating Christ, shining as stars. He gave the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus, who apparently were yielded to the Lord. And then in chapter 3, he says, I have no confidence in the flesh. But notice in verse 10 of Philippians 3, 
I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And then he goes on to say that, you know, I haven't already obtained all this, but he is pursuing it. We go through difficulties in life. Paul went through many difficulties in life. He was not trusting in his own abilities. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, somehow being like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. So a husband and a father says, I don't know how to lead my wife. I don't know how to lead my children. I don't know how to teach and train them. Do you want to know Christ in the midst of that? Children may say, my parents who profess to be believers are not really walking with God. They're really not teaching and training me. Do you want to know Christ in the midst of that? Search your heart. Are there idols? You say, idols? Yeah. An idol may be for a believing wife who has an unsaved husband that her husband must come to Christ. That can be an idol. And that becomes a focal point in her life. God, you must do it. Rather than knowing Christ in the midst of that. Give up the demand that things must change to be content. So a single parent says, God, I've had it. Seek to know Christ. A third thought, and I know this sounds crazy. Embrace your trial. Listen as I read from Matthew chapter 4, or I'm sorry, chapter 5 and verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If we never mourn, how can we be comforted? So a believing wife with a professing, believing husband who does not lead, mourns, cries out to God, and God says, I'll comfort you. But that comes through embracing the trial or difficulty. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 also. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul, apparently facing some difficulties, and his difficulty must have been some type of physical trial. It had a thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul's cry is, God, deliver me. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And what does Paul say? I'm going to embrace my trial. In his case, apparently some type of thorn in the flesh. So you're a believing husband and your wife is not willing to follow. Do you embrace that trial or do you push it away? You cannot run from the trial and seek God at the same time. If you're running, you're moving away. You cannot pursue God while you're running. Now, I know I'm shifting gears in terms of trials at this point in time, but years ago, after I had my skull tumor removed and was not doing very well physically, my mother said to me, Dan, why don't you get them to pray that you might be healed? And I said, Mom, I don't think I'm ready to be healed. She said, why not? I said, Mom, I need the trial at this point in life to keep me humble and living in God's grace. God had brought me to the point where I embraced the trial, drew it to me and said, God, I want you to work in my life. So think about your life and what you may be going through. Embrace it. You cannot have wisdom from God and run at the same time. It's going in opposite directions. So you say, God, I don't like having this child that is not responsive to me as a parent. And God says, embrace the trial. My grace is sufficient. Give up the goal of escape and seek Christ in the trial. God, just get me out of this. I don't like my husband not being responsive. Embrace the trial. Experience God's grace. And then there can be wisdom in how, res- how to respond. If you seek to run, you'll probably run from the next circumstance. A pattern is developed. Rest in God's awesomeness. Let's go back to Job chapter 38. If you're in the ladies' class, you're probably all familiar with this book and have it down pat, but we'll look at some of it anyway. Job chapter 38. Job was the one who lost his family, lost his possessions, and then lost his health. And he had three people who came along and no, well, four actually, who was trying to give him some counsel, you know, and they said, Job, you must be at fault, you must have sinned, and on and on. 
And as you go through the book of Job, Job begins to say, God, I'd like an audience with you. And in Job 38, we find that God gives Job that request. Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. And here's God's little quiz for Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out the measuring line across it? Or in what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no further, here is where your proud waves hot. And he goes on in chapter 38 and 39 with question after question. We get to chapter 40. Then the Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who, who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. And he goes on again, posing questions. What is Job's response in chapter 42 and verse 2? I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I do not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job. Got a picture of God and who he was. Job, to our knowledge, did not get an answer as far as what had happened in life. But he knew that God could be trusted. Are you willing, in the midst of being a single parent, a believing wife with a professing, believing husband who is not leading or training, or your believing wife with an unsaved husband, are you willing to simply trust God? If it changes, if it doesn't change, but simply to trust him, embrace the difficulty. And then maybe at times we need to repent of our desire to run by dwelling upon running.
Job apparently came to chapter 42 and he's willing to embrace what he is going through by embracing God. And also seeking help from your shepherd or shepherds. It may be a pastor, it may be an elder, it may be a husband, it may be a father. In light of the examples that I gave earlier on and have been using, seek help from your shepherd. We won't look at Acts 20 or First Peter 5 or Ephesians 5. Why? The purpose is to remain in the trial and to know how to respond. And also to be open and honest in your sharing. Don't hide. We tend to be very proficient hiders. A husband, a father, not knowing how to lead and his wife and how to teach and train her, his wife or children, may go on for years hiding never coming to a shepherd and saying, I just don't know what to do. I'm not sure if I would have been responsive, but early on in our marriage, I needed some help from a shepherd. <laughs> How to love my wife how to lead her. I need someone to come up and say, or if I ask, say, Dan, talk to your wife. I do. What did you say yesterday? Five words. She asked five questions and I answered yes or no. I needed a shepherd to guide me through that. So you're a wife with an unbelieving husband seeking a shepherd to help you through that, how to live and how to respond in the midst of that. And very closely related to that is practice body life. We won't read 1 Corinthians 12, but in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about the fact that we repent of sin, we come to faith in Christ, we become part of the body of Christ. We need others. Your believing wife and your husband just kind of professes to be a believer but doesn't really love and really doesn't lead, doesn't seem to take a hold. Practice body life. You're a member of a body, not an island. Don't withdraw. As we go through the issues and struggles of life that we're discussing this morning, we tend to withdraw. We tend to want to be by ourselves. No one would understand. They might make fun of me. They keep bringing it up. We're part of a body. Don't withdraw. Pursue others rather than running from them. And again, I'm shifting gears in the nature of a trial. Remember years ago, soon after my surgery, I thought, I don't want another person to come up to me and say, how are you?
The reason I didn't was because I was proud. I wanted to go through that myself and not be a burden to anyone else. I didn't want another person to come up to me and say, Pastor, did you try? Yes, I tried them all, plus 50 others. We go through the trials of an unsaved mate, a believing husband who's not really leading. We have a father who doesn't, husband doesn't know how to respond. Just, we don't want to be part of a body, but yet God calls us to that, pursue others. And the enemy would say, don't. Share your struggle, talk, open up. And don't be afraid to cry. Pray, pray, pray together. Prayer in Scripture is much more corporate than it is individual. Oh, I just pray alone. Great, do it. But how about getting a group of believers together and praying and letting them pray for you? I don't know how to handle mom and dad. They just don't seem to love and they don't seem to teach me and train me. I got this wife of mine who professes to be a believer and I'm a believer and I don't know how to live. I don't know how to respond to her any longer. Get together and just pray and pray. Pray is vital. Love the one with whom you struggle. I know that in saying that might be a tall order. But in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2, we find that Paul speaks. He's writing to believers. And he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A shepherd has sheep that are not being responsive. Love them. I'm a pastor. I interact with other pastors. And sometimes pastors will talk about their sheep. And sometimes pastors are prone to moan and groan about their sheep. And I've chosen to make it a policy in my life not to moan and groan about sheep. Because I'm not called to moan and groan, I'm called to love. And you as a believing wife may moan and groan about your professing believer husband that is not leading. Love him. You as a professing, believing husband may say, but my wife, who professes to be a believer, really doesn't follow me. Love her. Given practical and meaningful ways. Love enough to desire for them not to continue in their pattern of life. 
See, part of love is loving someone enough not to let them continue in a pattern of life that may not be correct. You can't stop it, but you can respond in a biblical manner as we'll discuss next week. Admit reality. See their sin or their condition from God's perspective. An example. So Ruth Ann's a believing wife. I'm a believing husband. And I'm not really loving and leading her. Is she willing to step back and say, no, my husband Dan is not loving me. He is not leading me as he has been called in light of Scripture. I will accept that. I must see reality and then respond. Sometimes we protect them, give up protecting them, and it may mean loving confrontation. About 40 and a half years ago, I made a promise to Ruthann. I shared my vows with her. She shared her vows with me. And as we began our marriage together, some things, you know, would come out, you know, that I wasn't the perfect husband. Almost. Not really. But I wasn't the perfect husband. And the further we went along, you know, Ruthann would casually mention something sometime. And I finally got to the point and I said, honey, when I'm not doing something right, if I'm not loving you and leading you, tell me because I usually don't pick up on it. Love me enough to tell me. Love me enough to confront me. Don't let me continue in that way. So to this day, once in a while, Ruth will say, honey, can I talk to you? Yes. Can I talk to you? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. What are you afraid of, honey? I'm asking her now. And it's usually she wants to tell me something that I might not be responding in her best interest. So whether it be a husband and wife relationship, a parent-child relationship, and so on, don't protect. It may mean loving confrontation. And mentioned a couple of things in relation to that next week. And then seek wisdom and how to live and how to respond. You got your pizza, the dough, the sauce, the cheese, and the toppings and the microwave, you need to put it together. We discussed doctrine last week, teaching, a little rebuke. This morning, I hope, was helpful in just putting that together. You got your house. The footer is poured. It's all dug out. You got all these materials. 
Now it comes to putting it together. What we've discussed this morning, whatever your circumstance may be in life or how you might be able to reach out and minister to someone else, I would encourage you not to sit and look at all those pizza ingredients or all those building supplies. Begin to put them together in your day-by-day living. And Lord willing, we'll look at some specifics next week. Very practical. What is a single parent to do? How is she to teach or how is he to teach and train children? What is a believing wife with a professing believing husband who is not loving and leading practically in light of Scripture? How should she respond in light of, hopefully, living out the foundation that we discussed this morning? Let's pray together.